bah. Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to the end game. That's right, baby. It's the end game. We are here. We are on the final chapters of Mad Max, the novelization. Can you believe it? I cannot believe Oh, of course. Of course, that's what happens when you set your alarm so early in the morning. Let's actually make that go away so it doesn't bother us for the rest of the session. Boom, boom. Oh, my God. We would have been hit with so many more alarms. I, I have trouble waking up in the morning sometimes. So a few nifty alarms save me a whole lot of trouble. And I just realized I forgot to light my incense. So let's do that as well. Because reading Mad Max is such a zenful experience, right? Oh, yeah, baby. Feel the zen. Feel the zen. Now, I don't know. I've gotten really into the habit of lighting incense down here. I, I like to think maybe it's because, um, <clears throat> you know, as a former reformed smoker, who craves cigarettes all the time. Not all the time. Sometimes I, I crave a cigarette and sometimes just lighting an incense kind of uh, gives me the, the, the fetishization of, of smoking is, is alleviated by, by lighting a, <laughs> it's the same reason why I hold this paper straw in my hand, that kind of thing. Um, so we're at the tail end of the book and Max is stalking um, the rest of the toe cutter's gang. And the toe cutter is now recognized. Remember, he recognized that that the 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 hot shot who's tripping them up is actually Max himself. And he it almost admires, he admires, um, he admires him for what he does. So let's let's read chapter 22. Once the toe cutter realized who was behind them, he ditched the idea of stopping to get Mudguts and Bubba their orders. He had to keep going, keep heading north until he got enough distance between them to plot and plan without any interfere of the bronze surprising them. Now we see that in the movie, but we don't have the internal monologue, so we don't really know what is going on and they we do see what the plan is the plan is to shoot max in the leg and run over his arm spoilers obviously you've seen mad max if you're listening to the novelization he opened his throttle and grinned as the other two followed suit the trio doesn't he do that and then he like jumps and he, he jumps off uh the trio gave their machines everything they could lying flat on their petrol tanks to reduce the amount of wind drag and going straight in and out of curves Slowly, steadily, they managed to draw away from Max, not because their machines were any faster, but simply because they were able to get into the curves and corners more quickly. Max knew, as he watched them gaining ever so slightly on him, that they were far nearer the edge than he was. As the sun began to slip, slip lower in the sky, the caravan of bikes and car entered a spectacular section of country which Max had never traveled before. The road narrowed and climbed and dipped steeply, cutting its way through the foothills, leading always higher, twisting and turning all the way until Max finally lost sight of his quarry. It was the moment that the toe cutter had been waiting for. He sighed with relief. Despite the near panic which had seized him, when he saw Max's car come thundering around the curve, he spent most of the miles since then thinking of a way to free himself from the angel of death on his on his tail. That's pretty cool. Uh, Max becomes the angel of death. 
when he loses his family and his life, he in turn becomes the angel of death. Friggin' metal as fuck. Um, he knew that he had to do it soon or lose the chance forever, and with it, his life. Good fortune played into his hands. Just ahead, he saw a sedan tr trundling along at a respectable 70 miles an hour. He knew he found what he was looking for. He led Mudguts and Bubba into the passing lane and with a hand signal indicated that they were going to force the day trippers off the road. They had done it countless times before and had no trouble now. With the bikes ranged along one side, chains swinging in their hands, they steered the sedan onto the side of the road in much the same way as an experienced cowboy could separate a steer from the pack. The driver and his wife, both in their 50s, sat in mute terror inside the car. Quickly, the tow cutter pulled off his sawn-off shotgun from his saddlebag and used it to keep his hostages under control, explaining his plan to the other two. So we do not get this in the movie at all. This is part of... This is part of the trap that they are setting for Max, I guess. And interesting how they say how how Toe Cutter has a sawn-off shotgun, but we don't see any description of Max with a sawn-off shotgun. Giving terse orders and leaving no doubt in the couple's mind as to what would happen to them if they didn't cooperate, he got the man to move his car. Mudguts dropped his bike in the gravel, and the start at the start of the next tight curve, got down on his hands and knees and entwined himself in the machine, ripping his clothes, smearing his face with dust and then falling up. So mud guts is still around. It's not Johnny, the boy it's mud guts, Bubba and uh toe cutter who are setting the trap. Johnny, the boy, I guess, I wonder if the, wow. I wonder if that, that the sawed off foot at the end is still going to be Johnny, the boy, but he doesn't partake in shooting max in the leg. The tilt cutter ordered the man and the woman to bend over and act as if they were tending him. Just kneel down there and make it look good. Understand? The old couple nodded with a mixture of confusion and panic. Make it look better. The tilt cutter roared at them, pointing the barrel of the shotgun at their heads. They took to their task with all the enthusiasm and ability they could muster. Me and my friend here, the tow cutter continued, are going to be up on the hillside there with our guns trained on you. Any attempt to warn anybody that stops to help you will be like signing your own death warrant. I'll go for the lady first and then you. Do you understand? Again, they nodded. Bubba Zanetti led the way, scrambling up to take his position behind a large boulder. The tow cutter went farther north when he had a clear line of fire down the road. Before flattening himself on the earth, he looked around, checked the other bikes, checked that the other bikes were totally concealed, and that his two hostages were playing their parts properly, and that the snout of Bubba Zanetti's long-barreled pistol couldn't be seen. So that's the, the World War II, the, the Mauser the German Mauser that that Bubba carries that we don't see again until be, uh, beyond Thunderdome, which is like, I love that scene. Fi shoots shoots at the guards with the double barrel and then pulls the Mauser on the, uh, uh, on the collector. And he's like, <laughs> he's and he's and he's and he's doing doing his deal with him. It's freaking great, man. I, I can't wait to read beyond Thunderdome. That's going to be awesome. Um, the tow cutter went further north. Bubba's and Eddie's long barrel. They waited. Max had a scant couple of hundred yards in which to see them, and his first reaction was to keep going. But the look on the old man's face as he tried to flag him down, and the sight of the woman struggling to lift the bike, 
off the rider, changed his mind. As he slowed his car, he allowed his mind to calculate all the information. The bike rider, undoubtedly, one of those had he had been chasing, had obviously been going too fast to take the bend and had run off the road. The others, knowing he was behind and knowing their comrade had probably been killed, would have kept going. The old couple must have come across the accident shortly after the bikes had passed them. Max allowed the car to roll to a halt and then backed up, stopping 30 yards from the wreckage. He didn't move from his seat. He examined every part of the road and surrounding hillsides until he satisfied himself that his assessment of the circumstances was correct. And only then picked the shot. There's the shotgun. Pick the, but it's not a sawn-off shotgun. Picked the shotgun up off the seat, loosened his pistol in his holster, and slowly got out of the car. He was halfway towards the wreck when the old man stood waiting for him when Bubba Zanetti fired the first shot. Max's left leg exploded underneath him. His kneecap flew off into tiny pieces as the bullet tore through flesh and bone. But as Max's body collapsed, his mind went to work. Wow. So his kneecap shattered? Holy shit. Holy shit. That's insane. I can't get over that. Um... The impact had thrown him to the ground and rolled him over. He just kept going. Zanetti fired again and missed, standing up now and allowing Max to see him clearly against the white rubble behind him. Max had dropped his shotgun, but as he rolled towards the edge of the bitumen, his right hand was already searching for his holster. Zanetti fired again, hitting the road just in front of Max's. This is so much more suspenseful than what we saw in the movie, though. You know, and maybe it's because like we can like actually like dissect what's happening and like vis I can visualize this so well. The idea of a shattered kneecap and then he's struggling for his pistol and he's and also, you know, the again trying to shoot all that, like God, like it must have been so hard for George Miller. It really must have been. Considering what we know he's capable of doing much later in life, like this is his first film. Zanetti fired again, hitting the road just in front of Max's face. Pieces of bitumen lacerated his forehead. Max was in the gravel now, and to his side, he could see Mudguts trying to disentangle himself from his bike. The old couple were running willy-nilly for their cars. Max turned one more time. He, they simplified it. This, this whole scene was simplified probably because of production logistics, but the scene written in the book is much more interesting than what we actually get in the movie, and what we get in the movie is just you know, super fucking iconic and legendary. Um, the old couple were running willy nilly for their car as Max turned one more time, pulling the pistol out in front of him and from less than 15 yards away, pumped three shots into Mudgut's writhing body. No glory there, he thought, as he heaved himself over on his side and bumped down a slight incline. Although that make that's totally what the Occam's razors. They didn't, he did not have... He did not have enough money to do all this. Although he didn't know it, he was well out of the toe cutter's view. But Zanetti scrambled down the hillside, blasted off another couple of quick wild shots. Max swung his arm around, calculated where Zanetti's feet would fall next, and squeezed the trigger twice in quick succession. The first bullet shattered Zanetti's chest, and if there was any life left in him as his knees buckled, it was gone the instant the second bullet took the top of his head. Took the top off his head. That is fucking nuts, dude. 
That is nuts. I mean, and again, how would Miller accomplish that? How would he have accomplished that with like such little amount of money? And I mean, just that whole, to shoot this whole day probably would have taken so many days. And it's like what they did, they probably did in a single day. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I just imagine. Uh, Max lay motionless, waves of pain sweeping up from his shattered leg and threatening to engulf him. He felt himself slipping into unconsciousness, his presence of mind deserting him faster than the blood which rolled out of the gaping wound on his knee. Ironically, it was the toe cutter who brought him back from the brink. The leader had seen both his lieutenants shot dead. And though, right, so of course, mud guts would be you know, the, the, the initiation of Johnny, the boy is in the movie. It's with when, when he, when he, fr when they fry up Jimmy, the goose and whatnot, but it's just not really, it's not really accentuate. I guess it is kind of accentuated. It just didn't really, never really noticed it, but Johnny, the boy really is kind of like a rookie recruit. Um, but he's kind of promoted up to like third to, to second Lieutenant, um, after everybody else has mowed over in the last 10 minutes of the movie. Um, the leader had seen both of his lieutenants shot dead, and though he knew that Max was wounded, didn't like his chances of making a position where he could get his aim without being hit first. Uh, had he known how badly wounded Max was, he would have gone in for the kill, but in the few frantic moments which had just passed, he accepted unquestioningly that Zanetti had only managed to inflict a flesh wound. Instead of taking his time and calmly executing Max, he backed off quickly, Creeping low towards the hidden bikes, silently, he mounted his machine. It was the sudden roar of the giant engine which held Max this side of reality. A small thing, but enough. Max's mind latched onto the sound. The computer in his head overtook the pain and fright and told him that his work wasn't finished. Max heard the growl as the engine roared off into the late afternoon and began to drag himself slowly to his feet. Using all the authority he could command, he yelled at the cowering old people. Nervously, they approached, afraid that he was about to wreak vengeance on them, but certain that if he didn't, uh, if they didn't help, he would have no compunction about shooting them. Wow. Nervously, they approached, afraid that he was about to wreak vengeance on them, but certainly that if they didn't help, right, that he, okay, that's their point of view, not Max's point of view. Max didn't say a word. He just draped his arms around their shoulders and got them to steer him to, and got them to steer him to his car. Once there, he half fell, half stepped into the seat, dragged his tortured body round, and more by an effort of will than anything else, started the car using his one good foot to operate both the accelerator and the brake as you're supposed to i mean how do they do that in australia do do you use both feet uh he roared off spinning the old couple off their feet in a shower of dust that's amazing so this is all these characters were were cut at the end of of that scene just completely not there in in the in the movie barely seeing the road and caring little about his own safety he pursued the toe cutter through the blanket of pain tightening round him, he noticed that the bitumen was narrowing, turning from a highway into a single lane, each way mountain uh, in an each way mountain road. The median strip disappeared, and he was and it was replaced by double yellow lines. He fixed his eyes on them and forced himself to follow every curve. Made reckless by the pain, Max was throwing his car through the curves at a good 20 miles an hour faster than the bike. The tow cutter was having a difficult time of it, trying to get as much speed as he could out of the machine and while keeping watch in the rear view mirror. It was almost with relief that he saw Max tear into sight less than a mile behind 
behind him. At least now he knew where he was. Max lined up the small of the toe cutters back with the small insignia standing on the front of his bonnet. He had his foot almost to the floor and was bearing down on his prey with all the ferocity of a sparrowhawk in full majestic flight. He was within a couple feet of the toe cutter as they swept into a long climbing curve. Panic seized the toe cutter's heart and terror glazed his eyes as the monster bore down on him. He squeezed the last shred of power out of his bike. It was a terrible mistake. The machine slewed into the other lane and hurtled over the crest on the wrong side of the road. All of Max's instincts screamed warning signs throughout his body. Slow down. He slammed his good foot on the brake for the toe cutter. It was a fatal error. This time his luck had run out and at better than 120 miles an hour laid over. So his shoulder was barely off the ground. He went straight between the front wheels of a huge rig laboring up the hill. He was still conscious for a moment under the grill before the sump guard ripped his head and shoulders off at the chest. Max careered past the rig, hurtled down the hill with tires screeching and spun to a halt in the dip. Slowly, he maneuvered the car around and climbed back towards the stationary rig. Dropping his speed even further, he pulled out onto the other side of the road and crawled past, watching the stricken driver staring in disbelief at the tangle of bike and body smashed in a bloody mess beneath his prime mover. This, God, this is great fucking writing. Man, Terry goes from being a like a really like, 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 uh, just like damp rider to being a fucking dank rider, dude. I mean, just really good. Um, Their eyes met briefly. Then Max stood on his accelerator and tore off under the darkened sky. He was going back the way he'd come. There was one left. That was all. And then he would be done and finished with it. So the toe cutter dies in the same way that he dies in the movie. First sip of coffee of the day. Mm. Okay. Now I'm feeling energized. And now all that's left is Johnny, the motherfucking boy. I don't know if you can hear that sound, but it's really annoying. 23. And, you know, there's that scene in Mad Max. We, it's, we've never seen it. It's cutting uh, footage that's on the cutting room floor. It's Max using, like, a wrench to sort of uh, wrap his leg in a splint, kind of, like that. And, like, we see him, like... You know, and he's like, you know, fixing himself up. He's he's giving himself first aid, um, that sort of thing. Chapter 23, the final chapter. His leg was numb now. Only threads of pain weaving through his groin acted as a reminder of the bloody mess he once called a knee. You know, I don't know how he does anything in Thunderdome because... You know, having the brace on his leg now makes so much more sense in the road warrior. Like that brace is not for getting shot through the leg. That brace is because mother dude lost his fucking kneecap and like literally needs that brace to help bend his leg or whatever. Wow. The bloody mess. He once called a knee motherfuck roaring down the mountains along the flat past the bridge and onto the wide open plains he noticed nothing he was beyond fatigue past pain now he was racing against nightfall to find johnny the boy johnny was keeping him alive by the way interesting note too like i was just watching mandy which obviously takes so much from mad max like there's so much borrowed in the best kind of way of course um 
but I'm just, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about red Nicholas Cage's character, like just very mad. There's a lot of Mad Max DNA, tons of it. Max's brain, the unfailing calculator steered him to the spot where Johnny had careered off the road. His mind called up the memory and matched it with the countryside. He was traveling through without realizing it. He slowed the car and began to search the scrub for, in the failing light. Then he saw it there. So it's funny how Ter Terry will spend a whole fucking chapter showing us how the toe cutters gang searched over here and did over there. And then what could be accomplished in a single fucking sweeping paragraph. Max was looking for Johnny. Max found Johnny. Boom. There, barely 50 yards away, was Johnny's shattered machine. It lay on its side, half hidden in the scrub and the shadows. Max used his shotgun as an improvised walking stick. So Max does not have a sawed-off shotgun. He's using the shotgun as a walking stick. He does not, it, it's different. It's different. With his pistol in his hand, began walking towards the wreckage. That would have made for such a stark and interesting imagery uh, to see to see him walking with the shotgun like that. Despite the veil of pain, which was drawn tight across his mind, his eyes searched every shrub and hillock in the vicinity for the sign of Johnny. Slowly, he approached the bike, and as he got closer, the information fell into place in his mind. And his mind printed out the result. Johnny had abandoned his bike and fled. Carefully, painstakingly, Max examined the ground for a clue which would solve the final riddle. And because he went about it with logic and patience, the solution to the conundrum unraveled before him. Isn't it amazing how logic and patience in a situation that would otherwise baffle you can slowly reveal the answers of what you need? You have to remain calm and you have to examine all the information before you. And then answers will come in the scrub. He found the trampled twigs and the faint footprints, which indicated as sure as any beacon, the direction in which Johnny had gone, the trail led off at an angle from the bike, slicing up the incline and intersecting with the highway. Satisfied with his conclusion, Max swung one heel, dragged his other leg round with him and struggled back to his car. Almost sedately, he fired the engine and allowed the car to rumble down the highway. All the time, search, he searched the area between the shoulder of the road and the edge of the darkness for a sign of Johnny. He found him as the sun finally set, and only its afterglow was left to light the world. So the sun is like setting super dim. Again, very hard to shoot, especially as a first-time filmmaker, and... How much more cinematic would it have been if these little details were included? That's not a, that's not a criticism of Mad Max or anything, but what it is is a um, sort of understanding of of the, the limitations of of what they were trying to accomplish. Johnny, unmistakable in his leathers, was clambering over what was left of a newly destroyed utility. The wreckage was barely 50 yards from the shattered guardrail. They picked the pickup had come to rest on its side, uh, on its side down and ripped apart. And Max could see from the roadway that a body was slumped out of the driver's door. Johnny was struggling to pull the boots off the body. Max cut the engine off the pursuit special and quietly opened the door, ignoring the pain which tore through his thigh as he clambered out onto the road. He began to move as quickly as possible through the lengthening shadows towards Johnny the boy, who happened on the wreck barely 15 minutes before Max's arrival and was too intent on scavenging 
to notice that he had company. So it's like, and you know, it's interesting too. Um, what was I about to say? He's pulling the boots off the butt. I was about to say something and I totally, oh, it's interesting to me also that they really do not, they don't put any emphasis on the uh, last of the V8s, like the Pursuit Special, even in the first Mad Max movie, there was some emphasis on it. And I feel like that was really kept to a minimum through the novelization, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. Um, the first he knew of Max's presence was the heavy click of the pistol and the appearance of the barrel along his right eye. He looked down for a moment with mounting panic. He saw the black dusty boots climbing all the way up to the black uh, John Jondifers. I don't, I don't know what that word is. Jondifers. No, never heard of it. I guess some, some Australian term for like chaps or something. Um, could you imagine like processing that? Like you're scavenging, like suddenly you see something out of the corner of your eye. You like can't process the fact that you've been found. Like, I don't know. That's interesting. He saw the gaping bloody hole at the knee, which was enough to make him throw his eyes upwards past the revolver belt at, and the leather jacket to come to the rest of the, to rest on the bronze star pinned on the chest. Panic was making his mind race. Now it's also interesting how the society of which they live and the, um, the the circumstances and situations that the bronze face on the road lead the bronze, even though Max has become a vigilante, he is still, this is what law and order, and in the same way that, 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 that Johnny the Boy is an example of what criminality has devolved into in the society, um, so too, this is what law enforcement has devolved into in the form of somebody like Mad Max as an angel of death. Panic was making was making his mind race now. He looked straight at Max's dirt-smeared face as his mind battled to make sense out of what was happening. So I guess we don't get that. We don't get that little bit about how he 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 makes I guess we did. He said he used the the, the shotgun to as a walking stick. Johnny the boy says, Hey man, he said in a high, hey man, he said in a high-pitched nervous voice, this, this isn't what it looks like. Max stared down at him, his pistol unwavering and his nostrils growing accustomed to the bitter smell of leaking petrol. By the way, uh Fief does Fief get I don't remember. Did we read that? Did Fief get killed by the toe cutters gang? I don't think so. But somewhere in the excised, you know, story. The, the the whole hall of justice is destroyed by the toe cutter gang i just came to check it out i just came down here to check it out johnny continued and the guy was already dead slowly max began to walk around him cradling the shotgun in the crook of his hand and pulling a pair of handcuffs from his waistband johnny tried to back away from him but max was too quick for him and jammed the bracelet on his ankle hey what you doing now listen here bronze i ain't done nothing wrong Johnny's jabbering was cut short as Max began to drag him by the foot towards the rear of the wreck. I had nothing to do with what happened with what hey, I had nothing to do with what happened back there, he yelled as Max clipped the other bracelet around one of the steel bars, which formed the side of the pickup. Listen, there was a lot of crazy people. I'm not responsible for what happened back there. Johnny stared at Max in complete confusion as he began to rummage through the toolbox he found in the cabin of the pickup. What you doing? What do you think this is? I ain't been charged. Max stopped and stared at him for a moment as if he was noticing him for the first time, then continued with his work. Johnny couldn't take his eyes off him, trying to guess what was coming and falling victim every few seconds to a new wave of panic. 
Max carefully collected a large tin, a hacksaw, and a reel of tape from out of the box, and then taking a cigarette lighter out of his pocket, began to tape it almost at ground level to the exposed underbelly of the pickup. I don't know what you're doing, Bronze, but I gotta tell you, I'm a sick person. They say I'm not responsible for anything I do. Max worked quickly despite the pain which was laying siege to his body. A wild kind of anguish had crept into Johnny's voice and face. He was falling into blind terror. Oh God, don't hurt me! Max flicked the lighter on and taped it so that it was a permanent two-inch flame flared out. Realization began to seep through Johnny's befuddled brain. You can't kill me, he screamed. You can't kill me, he screamed. Oh Jesus, you're mad! Max ignored his babbling. He's mad. Max. Um, Max ignored his babbling and dragged his shattered leg a pace to where the petrol was streaming out of the tank in a thin line and falling onto the ground. Carefully, he placed the tin underneath it and watched it slowly begin to fill. The tip of the flame was placed on the rim of the can. So the tip of the flame was placed on the rim of the can. Satisfied with his handiwork, he limped slowly towards Johnny, twirling the hacksaw in his fingers as he approached. So not handing it to him, he's twirling it like as if it was a revolver. Johnny's eyes were darting between the cop who, who towered over him and the petrol tricking into the can, trickling into the can. Max looked down at Johnny and spoke for the first time. The chain in those handcuffs is high tinsel steel. To cut through it with this, he said, holding the hacksaw out in front of him, would take 10 minutes. Johnny was staring at him with sheer, unadulterated terror now. How long you got to hack through your ankle is hard to tell, but I'd say, if you're lucky, five minutes. I got to tell you, <coughs> the lines, the dialogue is so much better here than, it, than what, what Mel Gibson says in the movie. How long you've got to hack through your ankle is hard to tell, but I'd say you're if you're lucky, five minutes. Johnny couldn't speak as he fought with the panic, which had go. I mean, how many fucking times are you going to write that, Terry? He said that four fucking times. We know he's fucking scared. Sorry. <laughs> I just, it's so redundant. Finally, his will to survive propped him up and he began to beg for his life. Oh, God. Please let me go. Oh, God. You can't do this. Max threw the hacksaw down next to him hauled his body round and began to struggle back towards his car. Johnny was crying now, great heaving sobs, racking his body, the hacksaw lying untouched next to him. Please, Jesus, I can't stand the pain. Oh my God, when I was a kid, they gave me needles. In the night, the doctors would come and the pain was everywhere. <laughs> Max was almost lost in the gloom of the evening. Ooh, is that fucking... Ooh, that's spicy. Max was almost lost in the gloom of the evening, walking slowly and only the pain there to remind him that he was still alive. All the fire was gone now and he stumbled through the rubble as the great sheets of pain swamped his body and be besieged his mind. So we get to see where Max's mind is. Max's brain now is centered here as a result. Johnny's blabbered reminiscence of a tortured childhood didn't penetrate his mind as he climbed through the broken guardrail and heaved his broken body into the car. He went through the motions of starting the car, barely able to keep fatigue at bay. Wait, 
Johnny's blathered reminiscence of a tortured childhood didn't penetrate his mind. The writing, it's amazing how he fluctuates. I mean, you know what this, this book was really missing is just a really good editor to come back and be like, Hey, Terry, you, you, you talked, you, you went over and pontificated about Johnny's anxiety as Max was handcuffing his ankle to the, uh, to the car, like four or five times in the, in the last two pages, uh, meanwhile, you're writing this beautiful po poetry here. Johnny's blabbered reminiscence of a tortured childhood didn't penetrate his mind as he climbed through the broken guardrail and heaved his broken body into the car. He went through the motions of starting the car, barely able to keep fatigue at bay, and then felt the bitumen rumbling beneath his quickening tires. The night was all around him, and he swept through the blackness, down one gradual slope and up the other side before he remembered to flick on his driving lights. And then, with the headlamps guiding his way and his face gently lit by the glow from the dash, there was an almighty explosion behind him. Max dragged his eyes up the rearview mirror and into the distance. He saw a fire, a fierce orange ball lighting up the night sky behind him. He stared at it for several. Hold on. Let me take this again. Johnny's blabbered reminiscence of a tortured childhood didn't penetrate his mind as he climbed through the broken guardrail and heaved his broken body into the car. He went through the motions of starting the car, barely able to keep fatigue at bay, and then felt the bitumen rumbling beneath his quickening tires. The night was all around him, and he swept through the blackness, down one gradual slope and up the other side, before he remembered to flick on his driving lights. and then. With the, headlight, with the headlamps guiding his way, his face gently lit by the glow from the dash, there was an almighty explosion behind him. Max dragged his eyes up to the rearview mirror in the distance. And in Max dragged his eyes up to the rearview mirror, and in the distance he saw a fierce orange ball uh, lighting up the night sky behind him. Oh, God, I suck. Max, this is the end of the fucking book. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Max dragged his eyes up to the rearview mirror, and in the distance, he saw a fierce orange ball lighting up the night sky behind him. He stared at it for several seconds, allowing his foot to ease off the accelerator, and then, wrenching his eyes away, fired the car forward into the night. He didn't look back again. Now, that's essentially what we get in the movie, and that's great. That's fine. I, I mean, um, it's it's awesome. I mean, it was this was a great. I really thoroughly enjoyed. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I thoroughly enjoyed reading this. I mean, this was this was great. This was great. Um, what would have been interesting in in when did this when was this written? Uh, whatever, four decades with four decades of hindsight. What would have been even cooler? is if we got an epilogue showing that the world is slowly devolving and Max is, but I mean, how would you know? They didn't know that, that there was going to be a sequel at the time. I feel like we need uh, some sort of afterword of Max going off into the wasteland um, because the, it just, it just ends. It ends in the same way that the movie ends. Um, and you know, when you watch Mad Max, you kind of need to follow it up with the road warrior. It, adding the road warrior to the to the story or or making the road warrior suddenly makes a viewing experience of mad max feel incomplete if you don't continue on with the road warrior right and for me personally thunderdome as well 
and you know fury road is its own separate kind of animal so um that was great uh some point in the future we will read the road warrior next and we'll follow it up with beyond thunderdome but not before uh a breather a break uh because this is a, a very uh demanding mistress this uh do, doing these kinds of readings it's very hard to do it in this house uh when there's so much activity and distraction and uh i don't have a proper like like soundproof reading space um, as always, we want to tell you that Ride Stickers, our sponsor, is doing a special deal. You can get 200 die cut stickers for $69 if you go to riotstickers.com backslash rummus. Riotstickers.com, totally the way to go. Let's finish it off the right way with uh, a, a the, the proper message from Riot Stickers. We've got a new sticker deal at Riot Stickers. That's right, folks. We are starting a brand new promotion here at riotstickers.com, and it is for die cut stickers. <gasps> what exactly is die cut? What does it mean? It's time for Sticker Science 101. Basically, you got your regular stickers, right? But we introduce a new element with the die cut sticker. Basically, what you do with a computer guided scalpel. That's right. Computer guided scalpels. Isn't that a great band name? Computer guided scalpel. I love it. You can cut the exact shape of whatever your design is. So whatever you got going on, whatever its borders are, there's no borders. There's no limitations. You take your computer guided scalpel and you just cut around the edge and you get, voila, a die cut sticker. So in addition to the UV coating that protects from the sun, in addition to being printed on vinyl, which makes them weatherproof and waterproof, you can now have the exact shape that you want. Well, you always could, but you couldn't for a price like this. For $69, you can get 200 die-cut stickers. There are some people out there who are die-cut fanatics. They need die-cut stickers in their lives. You are not going to find a better deal than this. Now, there's only one place you're going to find this incredible die-cut sticker deal for $69, 200 stickers for $69. And that's if you go to the link down in the description, you go to riotstickers.com backslash from us. That's riotstickers.com backslash from us. What Sharpie Riot, have you lost your mind? Have you lost your mind? These prices are insane. These prices are crazy Eddie level prices. If you know crazy Eddie, then you might be old. You might be older than me. You're probably way older than me. You click on the link, you do the thing, and you get your die-cut stickers. Do not hesitate to get this deal, okay? And without further ado, future Jeff, roll the 60-second Riot sticker commercial. Go. Do it. Uh -huh. 